Now there were in the same, same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen and was told to them. I've had the opportunity to go to Bethlehem several times. And I've stood in the shepherd fields overlooking Bethlehem. And every time I'm there, I am often find myself wandering, uh, just wandering through the fields and, you know, just trying to get the picture in my mind. And so often I wonder what it was like for these shepherds who were just simple shepherds, nomadic people, who year after year, hundreds of times, were just keeping their sheep in the evening time. Just a normal, everyday kind of a job, probably boring at times. And then to think what would happen to them on a night like this, when an angel would appear to them, and they were never the same after this. Imagine telling that to your wife if you were a shepherd and you came home. Honey, you'd never believe what happened to me today. You'd never believe what happened tonight and what we found and just all of the happenings that went on. A few years ago, a movie came out called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. People made a real big deal out of these aliens visiting the earth and giving a special invitation to certain humans to go to a special meeting place where they would see the spaceship touch down. Well, here God visits the earth and he invites only a few people to really see what happened. And it was simple shepherd people. God comes and invades our time and our space and reveals himself. Now, if you want to get technical about it, heaven is about as extraterrestrial as you can get. God coming in human form. God sending his angels to speak to people, to simple shepherds that the Savior had come into the world. The story that we are reading is the story of a few people who found Christmas. There are many people who celebrate Christmas who have not found its meaning, who miss it altogether. They celebrate it every year, and the world is celebrating a holiday that it doesn't know much about. To merchants, Christmas means a tidy profit. To the post office, Christmas time means being overburdened with mail and packages. To parents, Christmas means gift lists, stringing lights everywhere. Christmas is like celebrating 
somebody's birthday without inviting the one whose birthday it is. It's like throwing a big birthday party and not even inviting the one whose birthday it is. Can you imagine that? But that's what the world is doing and celebrating Christmas so often. They miss the point of it. They haven't found Christ, so they haven't found Christmas. Every year, kids grow up writing letters to Santa Claus. And I came across a letter written to Santa Claus that I'd like to read you, but it's from a mother. Dear Santa Claus, you'll probably be surprised to receive this letter from an adult. You may be even more surprised as you read it to find that the writer is neither a maiden aunt nor a disgruntled bachelor. I'm a young mother. It isn't my intention, Santa, to hurt your feelings. You see, my family has paid tribute to you for many past Christmases. My husband and I, when we were in our childhood, and now our children, who are six, four, and two, they still care for you. How much they care has really proved a problem in recent years, and it's threatening to happen again. Our children worship you. They speak of you constantly. They watch diligently for your December 25th appearance. Can you tell us, Santa... What have you done to deserve this faithfulness from two generations? Can you promise any future consideration in exchange for past loyalties? During a family crisis, have you ever told us, Lo, I am with you always? Were you ever with us during sorrow to comfort us with these words, Your sorrow will be turned into joy? And Santa, there have been some doubtful times. Where were you? We didn't hear from you the calming message, I will never leave or forsake you. We've come to the conclusion that you've been even less than a friend should be. And we've been shortchanged. My three children have stood on a windy, cold main street just to get a glimpse of your jolly face. They have written heartfelt yearly letters. They have gone to the department stores to whisper in your ear. They have worked hard at being good in anticipation of your Christmas Eve visit. Yes, they've done all this as their father and I did before them. But there's going to be a change this Christmas, Santa. There isn't going to be any Santa Claus worship in our home. We decided to focus our attention and adoration on another being, one who has stood by us the other 364 days of this past year, one who has comforted us during the sorrowful and doubtful times, and yes, the times of crisis also. It's true that your name will probably be mentioned around our house, Santa. Old habits are hard to break abruptly. But someone else's name will be mentioned much, much more often. The children will probably work just as hard at being good, but I hope that they'll do it for another inducement. One that will last the whole year long to bring glory to another's name. And that is the one that has given us so much more, and not just on Christmas Eve. You may call our family fickle, Santa, but we don't mind. On this December 25th and all throughout the year, we want a comforter, a healer, a strengthening king. We don't want a myth any longer. We've talked it over. This year we've decided to give tribute, honor, and worship to someone who really deserves them, to the true giver, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, signed, A Young Mother. I like that letter. Now, as we go through this story today, first let's look at the announcement that the angels gave to the shepherd. Then let's look at the promise that God gives through the angels. And then we'll notice their response to that message and what our response should be. First of all, look at verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, suppose that God wanted to reveal himself to this planet 
And he decided to choose you to be his PR man. You were the one who's going to pave the way and decide where the child would be born and how he would come into the world and all of the factors surrounding his birth. Well, we would probably, because he's the king of the universe, want the best palace that we could find. And only the finest royalty surrounding him. We'd want the TV networks out there. We'd want to get this around the world if this is really good news. We'd get all the newspapers. We'd have private interviews. He would be born in a, a well-known city, a large city, where everyone knows what's going on. Not just a little out-of-the-way town that no one's heard of. And he would be born in the most sanitary conditions, the finest hospital that we could find. Certainly not in Bethlehem where a pregnant woman would have to travel, you know, almost a hundred miles, nine months pregnant to birth the child. That'd be out of the question. Only the finest. Well, God didn't consult us. And the Savior of the world was born in a feeding trough where animals would eat night after night. Hardly a place for a king. And he was born in a little place called Bethlehem, an obscure, despised kind of a town by the time of Jesus Christ. And only the shepherds were the first ones to hear that he came into the world. Now, the prophet has said in the Old Testament, And you, Bethlehem, though you be little among the cities in Judah, yet out of you will come forth he who is to be the ruler in all of Israel. It is significant that Jesus was born in Bethlehem for the word Bethlehem in Hebrew is the house of bread. Significant that the bread of life would be born from the city of the house of bread. A small, obscure little village, oh, about six miles south of Jerusalem. Now look at verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Actually, we do not know the date that Jesus Christ was born. Any good biblical scholar will tell you that it was probably not December 25th. Without going into all the details about how it got to be December 25th, maybe we'll cover that tonight. But probably Jesus was born somewhere between March and September, the spring and the summer of the Israeli calendar. Because shepherds only kept watch over their flocks at night during those months. During the wintertime, they kept them inside in the city. They never were outside watching their flocks. But in reality, it doesn't matter when he was born, does it? The important thing is that he was born. Who cares when he was born? He came into the world to save sinners. That's what's important. We don't need to esteem one day necessarily more holy than the rest. And I'm kind of glad that we don't know what day it is. Because we cannot worship the day, but we can worship the Lord whose day it is. But these shepherds are keeping watch, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. The middle of nowhere, think of it. God first chose to reveal his good news in the middle of nowhere to a few shepherds. Now, suppose you were an angel and God commissioned you to be in that choir announcing Jesus' birth. And you'd been practicing for about two or three hundred years now. And you're all ready for God to give you the cue that he's born. The stage is set. And all of a sudden you hear the word, he's born into the world. And Gabriel says, hit it, fellas. <laughs> you pull back the curtain to see what the audience is like and how many are there. And you see a few shepherds. 
And you're in the middle of nowhere in a field somewhere and there's just a few shepherds and a few baa from the sheep. Now we would think that God would certainly want to reveal the good news to a more significant crowd than this. And maybe a better place. Why not Jerusalem just a few miles away? That was the center of the culture. That was the center of the religious life. All of the Jewish leaders could have heard this. All of the Sanhedrin, the scribes and the Pharisees, those who labored over the scriptures waiting for the Messiah, surely the angels would come to them, maybe in a marketplace. It'd have some impact on these people. But in the middle of nowhere in Bethlehem to a few shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. You have to realize the impact of this, that shepherds did not have the greatest reputation at this time. Now, we think of shepherds, and we think that everyone loved shepherds in Israel. You know, the picture of the lamb over the shepherd's back. He's in all the nativity scenes. But shepherds in the time of David had a good reputation. By the time of Jesus, they had a horrible reputation. They were the lowest on the totem pole in the social structure. Nobody really cared for shepherds. They were known for being uneducated, dumb. They couldn't even read most of them. They couldn't even read a copy of their own scriptures. They had to be read to. They were known by not only being uneducated, but being sort of crafty. People looked at them as rip-offs. So they had a, a bad reputation, sort of a cross between Jethro Bodin and the Frito Bandito. They were despised. People thought, oh, a shepherd, his opinion is worth nothing. But why would God choose to reveal the first invitation to the Savior to simple shepherds? Well, perhaps because they were the most open. This was God's method. Actually, God would have it no other way. Jesus came into the world in such a beautiful way and revealed himself not to the religious leaders. He didn't go to Jerusalem. The angels did not go to King Herod in the palace. But he went to simple shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. The uneducated, the simple, the common folk. A note here that might prove interesting, and that is that you remember that every morning and evening in Jerusalem, they would sacrifice a lamb for the sins of the people. Every morning and evening so that they would have a constant supply of lambs for sacrifice in the temple worship, the Jewish leaders had their own private flocks specially for sacrificing the lambs in the temple. And the place where they kept the lambs for the temple were in Bethlehem. All of the shepherd's fields surrounding Bethlehem were specifically kept to raise up lambs for the sacrifice of sin in the temple. Now this proves interesting if these shepherds indeed kept the very lambs that were used to cover the sins of Israel, they were the first one to see God's lamb who came into the world to cover over their sin. Shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord stood before them, verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. I don't blame them. I mean, this wasn't an average day's work. They didn't have stuff like this happening all the time. 
In verse 10 it says, The angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Notice that. Tidings of joy for all people. You know, a lot of people picture God as someone who wants to take all the fun out of life away. That he has something horrible in store for them if they turn to him. And that's just a boring, dull kind of a life to come to Jesus Christ. You know, I used to think that way. I really did. I thought that I had to live, really have fun before I become a Christian and settle down to something like that. And my friends would come up to me when they'd accept the Lord, Skip, I'm a Christian. I'd think, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Is there anything I can do for you? And I figured that I really had to go out and live it up before I'd become a Christian. Get all the living in that I could until one day I saw a bumper sticker that said, Without Jesus, you ain't living. And that really had an impact on me. Jesus came to bring joy. God says, I'm bringing you good news, joy to all people. He came to give joy, not to rob you of your joy. He came to fulfill your life. And you can't have real joy until you've come to Him. And notice that the angel said that this would be to all people. So often I've heard people, when I share the gospel with them, say, hey, well, that's great for you. I'm happy for you. Oh, you're a Christian. Good. That's good for you. But not for me. Well, the angel said it would be for all people. Now, this was God's gift to the world. I mean, you talk about a Christmas present. God gave his most prized, his only begotten son for the sins of the world. His best, his most valuable. And yet the world rejected God's present, God's gift to the world. You know that while Jesus lived upon this earth, he was one of the most loved individuals that walked the face of the earth. But Jesus was also one of the most hated individuals that walked upon the face of the earth. Everybody had different opinions of him. Not all people followed him. He was loved and he was very hated, and he still is loved and hated today. You know that the name of Jesus can bring either joy to a person or extreme anger to a person even today? Just mentioning the name. That's always intrigued me. How people can get so angry when you bring up the name of Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the world. Oh, how people get upset at that. You know, and to me that is the greatest form of bigotry that I've ever found. To hate someone that you've never known. To get angry with someone that you've never met. That is the epitome of being a bigot. And yet that name brings so much anger to people when you mention Jesus. People just get so upset. My wife was telling me on the phone this week in speaking to her relatives. Sharing the gospel in sort of a, even a light kind of a way. Hey, keep it down. Don't bring that up. Don't talk so loud about it. And she said, now, isn't that interesting? I could be out in the street cursing up a storm, drinking a beer, and you wouldn't think anything of it. But I mentioned the name of Jesus Christ, and you're so upset. That didn't make any sense. He is still one of the most loved and one of the most hated individuals on the earth. This was God's gift. And it's not just for a few people. The angel said, it would be for all people. In verse 11, he says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David, which was Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
The word savior means one who is fitted or able to save. One who is fitted to be a deliverer, to save from sin. The angel told, said, Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Only sinners need a savior. Only people who are sinful need someone to save them. And the first mark that Jesus would be was he will be a savior who is Christ the Lord. I think we miss this when we think about Christmas. It's Jesus' birthday. He's coming to the world. But do you realize why he came? Do you realize what his destiny is? His whole purpose. He was born to die. He was born into the world to be hung on a cross. That was his supreme destiny in this world. What a destiny. Being born for the specific purpose of dying to secure atonement for our sins. This is the purpose of Christmas. If you have missed this, if you have missed Jesus being your Savior, if you don't know Jesus Christ today as your Savior, you have missed Christmas altogether and will continue to miss it all your life until you realize you're a sinner and you need a Savior. He is a Savior. Not only that, but the angel said, He is Christ the Lord. Or literally, He is Christ who is the Lord. Pointing to the fact of His deity, that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. He is a Savior. He is Christ who is the Lord. Now, let's look at the promise that God gave to the angels in verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. If I were a cynic today, I would get very angry at this point. If I were not a Christian and I were just a cynic, reading this verse, I would be so upset. What do you mean, peace on earth? Where is peace on earth? I ask you, look around. Was this angel mocking? Was this angel a liar? Where's peace on earth? Every 24 minutes in the United States, someone is murdered. Every 7 to 10 minutes, someone is raped. Peace on earth. Our cost of living is going sky high. People aren't talking about peace. They're building up nuclear arms to destroy each other. Peace on earth. Catastrophes in the countries, in Ethiopia. Millions are starving to death. Millions are homeless. In Bhopal, India, thousands have died. The population in 1984 is skyrocketing, which will mean even more homeless. And there's peace on earth. The angel has the gall to say peace on earth. Ah, but let's see what it literally says. It's not just peace on earth, goodwill for every man. The literal translation is the angel said glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men in whom God is well pleased. Now that changes the meaning entirely. This isn't a blanket promise for the whole world to have peace. Peace is not promised for everyone in the world. Peace to men in whom God is well pleased. Scripture says, there is no peace, saith the Lord, to the wicked. In a world that is dominated by Satan, the God of this age, Jesus called him, the prince of this world, no peace is promised at all. 
There is only peace promised to those who know the Prince of Peace, in whom God is well pleased. Now this word in verse 14, peace, the meaning of this word is a sense of rest, contentment. Rest and contentment are promised to those whose lives are pleasing unto the Lord. You know, this is something that the world is drastically, desperately looking for these days. Peace, contentment. I just want to be happy. I just want to be content. I just want peace to settle inside me. That's all I want. But they never find it. You know why? Peace is never found by direct pursuit. Peace is never found by direct pursuit. Peace is a byproduct of a relationship with God. If you don't know God, you'll never know true abiding rest and contentment. Nothing will ever fill that deep void that God has created within you until you come to know Jesus Christ. It's impossible. Peace on earth to men in whom God is well pleased. Those are the people that have the peace. Not a blanket promise to everyone. And when you come to know the Lord, you find purpose and meaning and rest and contentment. Peace to those people in whom God is well pleased. The world has a lot of fancy promises offered to you these days for a pseudo kind of a peace. Many of you have heard over the television or over just the mentality in the world all of these promises of peace. And we tend to think in other terms to find peace. Oh, if I only had the right husband, I'd have peace. Oh, all I need is a wife, then I'll have peace. All I need is this new home, I'll find peace. All I need to do is move from this location and move to another state somewhere, then I know that I'll have peace. So many lies where you can find peace and contentment. If I only had this, if I only went there in life, if I only did this. Even Christians get distracted and are lied to. They think, if I only had this ministry, then I know I'd have peace in life. No, you won't. Peace is only a direct byproduct of a relationship with God. When your lives please the Lord, then God will please you with his peace. Promise to those people who are well-pleasing. Now, this should be an indicator to us as Christians. This is a good little test. If you find in your life there's a lack of peace, a lack of rest, and a lack of contentment, and instead you find strife, anger, you don't have peace, it's a good indication that you're not pleasing the Lord, that you're seeking only to please yourself. Because God promised peace, rest, and contentment to those who are pleasing to God. Are you pleasing yourself or are you pleasing the Lord? It's a good indicator. Now, for the third thing, the response of the shepherds to the promise of God. Verse 15. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made him widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Now this is an indication to us how we should respond to the Lord. First of all, they believed and they obeyed. And that's found in verse 15. 
When the angels had gone away into heaven, the shepherds said, Well, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass. They believed that it happened. It has come to pass. We believe it. And they went to search out Jesus Christ, which the Lord has made known unto us. This was a special invitation, and it only went out to the shepherds. No one else got this kind of an invitation. And they were excited, and they believed, so they went. You know when a person really believes something, he'll do something about it? If a person really believes something, he'll do something. You wouldn't see the shepherds, yeah, well, I believe that he's born. No biggie. Just going to hang out, watch my sheep, listen to him baa all night. They went, they believed, and so they obeyed. I wonder how many of us would obey and be as obedient to God as these shepherds were at God's invitation. Can you imagine the shepherds coming up with an excuse? Oh, well, I, I can't come to the, see Jesus. I, I'm not properly dressed. I don't have a thing to offer him to bring him, and this must be a special child if angels come and announce him. Or if they would have made up the excuse, well, you know, I've got to tend my sheep. I'm responsible. This is my job. I just can't leave my job to go see Jesus. All of us have heard the gospel message. We've known that Jesus Christ came into the world, was born to die, etc., etc. But have you obeyed him? Have you followed his invitation? Come unto me and obeyed. You haven't found Christmas. The shepherds first believed, and then they obeyed, and Notice the second thing in verse 16. They found Jesus Christ. And they came with haste or in a hurry, found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. This was the peak of their life's experience. They found the truth. They listened to the words that God spoke through the angels. They believed. They obeyed. And they found that their words were true. They found Jesus Christ lying in a manger. Imagine how this must have blown their minds. Knowing who it was, knowing that this was the king of the universe, Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, and walking into a stable and seeing the king of the universe lying in a manger. He must have been in awe at this. You know... We really don't get the impact of this. The nativity scenes that we put up in our homes and that are dotted around the landscape are a little bit less than accurate. First of all, the smell isn't quite right. I mean that seriously. We really can't relate to what it was like as a woman to walk around animal droppings in a barn and place a newborn child who was just birthed from the womb in a feeding trough streaked with the saliva from farm animals. That's what it was like. The most unsanitary conditions. Would you birth your child in a situation like that? No, you'd want a hospital that's sanitary. The king of the universe born in a manger. Now you know what Philippians means when Paul said, and he emptied himself and became a servant. You know that God would have it no other way? God's methods are so different. Jesus came into the world in such a way that would, would not intimidate even shepherds, even the lowest people on the totem pole. Had he been born in a palace, do you think the shepherds could feel able to go and see someone born in a palace? They didn't have any respect in the world's eyes. He came born lowly in a manger. 
And even the shepherds could relate. He came on the level of the common man. And the Bible says that the common people heard him gladly. Now, the third thing. In verse 17, they spread the news. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. Can you imagine the joy of these guys and the excitement? This was big news. And we're the only ones these angels told it to. This is Christ, the Savior of the world. I'm sure they went running down the streets, door to door, knocking on doors, telling everyone about it. In fact, the next verse says, And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Probably, first of all, because they were shepherds. And they didn't have the highest respect in the eyes of the people. This was big news. You know, people have this idea about Christianity that it's private. It's personal. It's one of those things like politics you just don't discuss publicly. At least that's what social etiquette would tell you. Keep it to yourself. You want to talk about religion and politics? Do it at home. Don't do it around the office or around here. You couldn't keep these guys quiet. The angel said that this was good news for all people, not just shepherds. Tell people. They went around and made it widely known to people, for it was for all men that the promise came. It wasn't just personal. You know, the result of a true encounter with the Lord is that you'll tell people about it. After the resurrection, Mary told the disciples, the disciples told the world. Paul the Apostle, after he had seen the risen Christ on the way to Damascus, he went and told everybody. When you have a true encounter with the Lord, the result is, is that you just can't keep your mouth shut. You want to tell people about it. Your life then takes a different motivation. You want to tell your friends, you want to tell your old friends, your family, the people you work with. You want to tell them the good news. It's not a personal matter. They widely spread the news of Jesus' birth. Now, the time that Jesus came was a time when Israel was in darkness. The nation was confused. It lacked direction, especially spiritual direction. The Romans were hoarding over the people. God hadn't spoken through a prophet in 400 years. And finally, God speaks through the angels to a few shepherds. This was good news. It was just what the nation needed. Now, I want you to notice something that these shepherds were not well-trained evangelists. Who authorized these guys anyway to preach the gospel? Who ordained them? Where's their license? They can't preach around Bethlehem. They don't have any credentials. What Bible school did they go to? You don't need to be authorized if you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You just tell what you've seen. That's all you need to do. You just got to share the good news. I think at that point, if someone approached them and said, where are your credentials? They'd say, get out of here. I'm going to tell you the good news. This is to all people. God authorized them, and they went out. Now, finally, first of all, they believed and obeyed. Second of all, they found their Savior. Third of all, they made it widely known. And fourth of all, in verse 20, they worshipped God. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Worship is the highest possible human activity. It's the highest possible human activity. They went and they worshipped the Lord. Worship, again, is evidence 
that you're in touch with God. If you're a Christian, then you're a worshiper. A Christian is someone who worships God with his whole life. But you know that a person cannot worship God truly unless God is the master passion of his life. Unless his life is wholly, completely given over to the Lord, he can't worship God. And if God is your master passion, and if your life is wholly given over to the Lord, you cannot help but worship God. And that doesn't mean just once a week. It's a lifestyle. Worship to God is a lifestyle. The highest possible human activity. I believe the evangelical church today is weak in its worship because it's weak in its relationship to God. If your relationship to God is strong, your worship will be strong. If your relationship to God is weak, your worship will be awfully weak. From time to time, before a service, if I'm walking toward the back, I'll see people a lot of times in their worship just kind of looking around and or talking or uh, writing a letter or something. Let me tell you something. If that's the case, you're going to be pretty bored in heaven. If that's what you're going to spend all your time doing is worshiping God. And if your relationship with God is strong, your worship will be nothing but strong. The result, the evidence, the response... Of this experience, they went and they worshipped. You know, these shepherds were never the same. Now, these were men who found Christmas. Let me remind you that there were other people who didn't find Christmas. The religious leaders of Jesus' time. The king, King Herod in his palace. Some of the scribes who advised him missed Christmas altogether. And these found it. Why did these find Christmas? I think there's two reasons. Number one. They were honest enough to admit their need, that they were sinners who needed a Savior. The self-sufficient would never have made that trip to the manger. Only the people who were honest enough to admit their need. Second of all, the shepherds were humble enough to receive Jesus Christ when He came. They were humble. They received Him when He came. I'm sure they were confused. They didn't understand what all this was. Their minds were blown to think that this is the king of the universe lying in a feeding trough. But they received him. They were honest enough to admit their need and they were humble enough to receive the Savior. They found Christmas. The world has never been the same since Jesus Christ came. These shepherds probably turned around the shepherding industry in Bethlehem. They probably went back to the rest of the guys and their families and just changed everything. They were never the same. And anyone who's found Jesus Christ and met Him has never been the same. Let me ask you something. What if Jesus never came? A few years ago, there was a Christmas card with that title, If Christ Never Came. And it depicted a minister who fell asleep in his study before a Sunday morning service in his home. And as he fell asleep, he dreamt that he lived in a world where Jesus Christ never came. Someone knocked on his door and he came and answered the door. And it was a young girl who was crying. She said, please come to the bedside of my mother. She's dying. Comfort her. So he ran to the bedside with his Bible. 
And as she was dying there, he said, I've got news for you. I've got comfort for you. I've got promises for you. And he opened up his Bible, but it ended with Malachi in the Old Testament. There were no promises. There was no hope of a comforting Savior. And he began to weep. Two days later, he stood by the casket of this lady in a funeral service for her. And he realized that he had no words of comfort, no resurrection, no heaven that Jesus Christ promised, no salvation for the soul. And all he could do is hang his head and weep bitterly. Then he woke up. As he woke up, he heard the singing of the choir in his church next door. And they were singing, O come, all ye faithful. Come, O come to Bethlehem. Come and behold him. Born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. And he realized that Jesus had come. But for a moment he was shocked. If Jesus never had come, where would that leave us? If Jesus hadn't come, let me tell you something. I would take this Bible and shred it up and throw it away. It'd be useless. If there was no Messiah that came into the world, it'd be vain us even being here. But he has come. He's changed our lives. And many of your lives he wants to change this morning. Do you want to celebrate Christmas right? Then realize it's his birthday. What are you going to give him? He only wants one thing, and that's your heart. Give him yourself. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, take my life. Be my Savior. I need you. If you don't know Jesus Christ. Celebrate him by worshiping him. By telling others about him. That's the kind of birthday that we should give him. Then Christmas will not just be a one-day experience. You can celebrate it all year long. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did send Jesus into this world, that he did come for us, that he came as a sacrifice for us. And Father, that one event has changed the history of the world for 2,000 years and will change the world from now on. Father, I pray for those who have never admitted their need that they need a Savior. Lord, I pray that they will come to know you this Christmas. I pray that they will give themselves as a gift to you, for you gave your only begotten Son. Father, even now as you're moving in people's hearts, Lord, bring them to that saving realization of your love for them. As Christians, as you continue to pray, I want to invite those who have never met the Lord. You've been to different churches. You live in America. You've heard the gospel all your life, but you've never met him as your Savior. You haven't found Christmas yet. You're celebrating an empty holiday then. Today, if you want to know Jesus Christ, and God is speaking to your heart, and if you feel that inside, that's God. Don't let it pass another day. If you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ, raise up your hand so I can see you first and pray with you. If that's your desire this morning. If you want to meet the Lord, just slip your hand up and down once that I can pray with you. If you want to know the Lord, don't be afraid. God loves you. God's speaking to your heart. Obey his voice and come to know Jesus Christ this morning. Father, we thank you for hope of salvation. For receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our sin offering. Father, may we who know you worship you. May our lives be marked by those who just worship their Lord and who tell others about him. If we really have met you, we can't keep it silent. Thank you for changing our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.
It is a privilege, I think, for us to live in this country. It's still the best country in this world to live in, I believe. Being over in Israel, now they have close to a thousand percent inflation, I'm sorry, a 600 percent inflation rate. To, to what do we have? What's our inflation rate? 12, 14. <laughs> what is it? Four percent? Okay. Anyway, it's pretty low, isn't it? Compared to 600. I guess it depends where you're from. A friend of mine, about a year ago, as I told you, was audited for his tax. Found out that he was going to have to pay a lot of money to the federal government. Instead of the reaction that you think you get like, oh, this government, they're always trying to steal money from me. He said, you know what? I live in this beautiful country called the United States. And if, even if I have to pay $10,000 for the privilege of living here, it's worth it. The benefits that I get, I'll gladly pay my taxes. And I kind of stood back and thought, that is a good attitude. Willing to pay the taxes because of the blessings God has given him. So, this is our relation to civil governing authorities. They're put there by God. Father, help us in our attitude, Lord, toward the government, civil authorities, the leaders, the policemen. Father, we realize that in an age that's marked by defiance against authority, may we be submission, in submission to your authority, gladly obeying you, gladly obeying those laws that don't hinder our biblical stance, submitting to them, paying our taxes, doing it on time, giving honor to those who are in authority, because it's your will, Lord, and if we defy them, we're defying you. Father, at the same time, may we balance May we not stand up for those that are denying and flatly going against the things that we read in the Scripture. May we stand up against those issues. May we always say we must obey God rather than men. Whether it's smuggling Bibles into China, preaching the gospel in India, or it's abortion in the United States, may we stand up against it. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you that we're cleansed again tonight and that we're new creations in Jesus' name.